this is Sophie, your host. Welcome to the 2045 podcast. You read it right. This isn't clickbait, although almost no one is talking about this. The future of computing could actually be found in biology. Not to be confused with computational biology, which is pretty much modeling biochemical interactions in a conventional computer. Biocomputing can be such a promising field that even Microsoft has already been working on it for a while. It's also worth mentioning that researchers have found several advantages of this technology over quantum computing as well. This is an episode that I've personally been looking forward to a lot since I'm a huge fan of these kind of topics, but I couldn't do it alone, so I couldn't be more excited to introduce you to Anna Hag and Amiel Wombo. Over the past months, they have both been working on this technology, they have been doing research and have even started their own projects related to it as well. Today, we'll be talking about how you can store data into DNA, Anna's and Amiel's projects, and everything in between. Welcome to the future. Hey Anna, hey Amiel, I'm so happy to have you here to talk about this incredible and mind-blowing topic. Maybe we can start with some introductions. So Amiel, would you like to kick this off? Yeah, so my name is Amiel Mambo Becker. Um, I live in Ontario, Canada, and um, I recently got into biological computing and it's been super exciting for me because I feel like there are so many applications for this. And whenever I read an article or a new research paper, like my mind just expands. It's like so cool. Um, so I'm really passionate about this. Yeah, and maybe you'd like to mention some of the projects or ideas that you've been working on. For sure. So I've been exploring um, digital data storage in DNA, um, as well as uh, some logic circuits that you can implement in uh, synthetic biological circuits. Um, and recently, it's been uh, using biocomputers bio as living medicines, uh, which would essentially roam your body uh, and search for uh, biomarkers of disease and uh, treat them um, efficiently. Oh, great. How about you, Anna? Yeah, so hi, my name is Anna Heck, um, and I live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I also recently just got into biological computing, and it's honestly, like, so cool. I think it's one of the coolest topics out there. Um, yeah, and I've just, I've been looking into also storing digital data in DNA, which I think is really awesome, and also looking into a lot of the biomedical applications, Uh, like, you know, using it to look for biomarkers. And then specifically, I've been working on a project recently using a biocomputer to diagnose PTSD in children through the biomarkers in the brain of it. Okay, awesome. So I think that uh, I previously mentioned this like in the introduction, but you know, I think that people are curious to know what biocomputing is because I think many of us have, have heard about um, computational biology, but you know, it's kind of different, actually very different. So how would you describe biocomputing in a nutshell, meaning to someone who probably knows nothing about it, has never heard about it, you know, in simple words, how would you describe it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think of like biocomputing and like biocomputers as um, like biological molecules, so biomolecules like DNA, RNA, and proteins that can perform calculations. 
and um, like mathematical processes or, or tasks um, to produce an output. So instead of like ones and zeros, like regular computers, biocomputers are written and are programmed in A's, C's, G's, and T's. Yeah, pretty much the same as Amiel did it, but yeah, basically like using biological substances such as DNA to carry out computational tasks such as mathematical processes or other tasks that a computer might do or yeah. Okay, so basically what I understand for this is that it is using biomolecules such as DNA in order to do what a normal computer would do, right? Okay, great. Um, and I was also, once that I was talking with my grandpa about biological computing and how wonderful it would be to store the world's data into like a shoebox of DNA, uh, but he asked me like, well, what is the actual application of this like for healthcare or, you know, how can this help humanity? So I think that we've mentioned so far like uh, performing computations, like doing what our laptops do or storing data into DNA, but also, um, I think it's important what you guys are working on, like um, living medicines or diagnosing diseases or treating them with sort of using this engineering principles with biology. So what are what would you say are like the most exciting or even important applications of biological computing to, I don't know, humanity, healthcare? Yeah, I, I want to say that um, I don't think like electronic computers are going to be supplanted anytime soon. I think they're here to stay. Um, but I do believe that um, biocomputers have a special um, ability to process information at a at an incredible speed and uh, in an extreme, in extremely efficient way. So I feel like uh, when it comes to uh, again like calculations that. Uh, would take regular computers too long. Um, biocomputers can really excel at that, um, as well as, as we've mentioned in the body, there are uh, applications for biocomputers. And um, when it comes to storage and um, calculations and information processing, I think that's where we'll really see biocomputers shine. Yeah, I think those are definitely, yeah, the biocomputers just have so many different applications. And like for me, one of the big ones is DNA data storage, which a lot of people like don't see as like a really big application, but like data warming is becoming such a big issue. We're producing like over 2.5 quintillion bytes of data every day, which is a lot. And eventually we are going to run out of room to store it. And that puts future generations at such a significant disadvantage than we had from past generations that I think like the ability to store our data in DNA in such small spaces that have such large quantities of it, I think that's definitely going to be a huge thing. And then also like all the biomedical applications, because, you know, a biocomputer, one, it's made out of biological substances, so it's meant to be in your body. And then also it's just, it's nanoscale. It can fit into small places and do things while still acting like a computer. And I think that's going to be really big too. Yeah, I definitely am interested in kind of discussing about this idea of how um, biology is itself like a computer in some sense. Uh, but before that, I think that uh, the way this is going to be kind of structured is that we can zoom out a little bit and look at the all the potential applications like DNA, data storage, and biological circuits in order to do a lot of, you know, things, uh, living medicines, and all those things. So which would you say are like the main 
main fields that biological computing encompasses. If there is actually like a clear idea of the main fields, because this is actually like a very new discipline as far as I'm concerned. Right, exactly. It is very new. And I know like a lot of people have different definitions of it as well. But um, I think there are two main forms of biological computing, which would be DNA computing and peptide computing, uh, one of which is with DNA uh, and the other using like chains of amino acids or peptides. Um, and so when it comes to like, as you mentioned, storage circuits, um, medical applications, I think that is more of like the research areas that people have been uh, dedicated to. And um, I, yeah, I think they're all really um, important. And as you said, uh, there are quite a few and a lot of our, them are emerging. And um, I also want to like quickly mention that uh, any research that you do in like a single field, like if I'm like interested in logic aids and, and uh, like biomolecules, uh, that is going to have like an impact on like storage or like medical applications. So I feel like it's really cool to um, see how all of this uh, has seemingly different uh, use cases, but uh, like how the developments of each will um, contrib contribute to the develop to the advancement of biocomputing as a whole. Yeah, because it's like it's just as with let's say normal or you know kind of common computers or let's say uh, yeah just normal computers like let's call them like that uh, they were first developed like very basically just like logic gates and just like very basic programs and then they evolved to have the applications that we know today so biological computing is kind of following the same path. For sure, I expect the same trajectory as well when it comes to um, like efficiency and development. And I think it's just a matter of time, to be honest. I'm really optimist. And uh, what do you think about like uh, the fields of biological computing, Anna? Do you also see it as peptide? Did you say peptide uh, computing? Yeah. Uh, and like DNA computing? Or is it like um, also in terms of the applications? Yeah, I see it. There's definitely peptide and then like biomolecule kind of computing. And then even like further to break it down more in the biomolecule, I've also noticed that there's like a biomolecular computing and then also like a biochemical. So it's kind of like, I feel like you could break it down into a bunch of different fields if you wanted to, but it's basically like, what does our body do and what does biology do? And then how can we harness that? to turn it into like a computational power. But I feel like those are like the main areas of it. Um, and obviously like as we learn more, there will probably be new fields, just like with regular computing. The more we learn and the more we advance, the more we see the potential applications, but also like inside how it works. Okay, and I think that another potential question that a lot of people listening would have is why would somebody want to store their data into DNA? Like, what are the advantages over just using like a hard drive or their normal computers or the famous cloud, you know? Because I think we can also talk about that. Like, clouds are, are not like magic. They seem like magic, but there's actually a physical storage of that data. So in short, yeah, what, what would be the advantages? of storing data into DNA. So yeah, I, this is like one of my favorite parts in this because I think it's so interesting. But so like the biggest advantage is definitely the ability to store so much data in such a small space. Because as I was saying before, like we're running out of room to store data. And that means that we can't pass it on to future generations and they can't learn from what the data we have collected. 
But with DNA with computing, it's estimated like in one tiny little vial of water, we could store like over 10 to the 15 bytes of data. Like we could store unlimited data, maybe in the size of like a table. I think that's probably the biggest advantage is like, you know, having the ability to store large amounts of data in small, small spaces, especially with space becoming an issue too. And as you were saying, the cloud, it's not just a magical cloud in the sky, it actually takes up space too. And it's, it takes up space. And I feel like the biggest advantage is being able to eliminate that. Yeah, and uh, personally, uh, sometimes when we're trying to decide like what pictures to upload to a hard drive or like what pictures to keep or print out, um, it, it is like with uh, digital DNA digital DNA storage, it would be um, possible to keep everything. <laughs> and I mean, in the sense where we don't have to select, is this more important than the rest? Is this what we want to keep? And we don't know what the relevance might be in like 10, 20 years. So how can we make that decision yet? So I feel like... Um, DNA, digital DNA, digital data storage and DNA offers the ability to uh, archive so much information that is that really tells the story of the way we live now and the way the past uh, had the way the past uh, lived. So um, I feel like that is a reason why you should want to uh, encode your uh, digital data in DNA. Um, and in other news, also I feel like it's important to mention that. Um, as long as we will live, like as long as humans are on this planet, we'll want, we'll be interested in um, understanding our DNA. We'll always have, we'll always need the technology to sequence and synthesize DNA. So um, it doesn't seem to me like a, a more of like a silicon or a computer thing where um, it, it doesn't really relate to our biology. So um, in the sense, I see that um, like we'll always be interested in our DNA. So. Um, I am not scared of like losing the information or um, like not being able to understand it anymore. So it, it's something I really see on the long term. And then as Anna mentioned, um, like data centers occupy a lot of space and they're, they can be really uh, energy and resource intense, intensive. So um, uh, our current data storage media, uh, they also can't last for centuries without like corroding and um, without the data being damaged itself. Um, and like we, they aren't enough, essentially, like we're producing too much. Yeah, another point that I would like to maybe consider is the fact that I heard that um, data stored into DNA can last for potentially like thousands of years I don't know how true that is maybe you can we can talk about that and also like how reliable that could be because sometimes you know in the day-to-day -day, I still feel sometimes scared of trusting I don't know my USB to store my data and I don't know if I'd feel you know kind of sure of storing all my information into DNA which is like liquid and then not knowing how you know safe it would be so how and what do you think about that like how long the data can be stored and how secure it would be. I mean, nowadays we can like um, we can sequence the genetic information of um, organisms that lived thousands, of millions of years ago, and we're able to um, well, not millions. I don't, I'm not sure about that. One, but like <laughs> thousands of years ago, when we can uh, see the way they lived, and we can re we can reveal some genetic information um, from um, like the way, what they ate, uh, how they lived. 
uh, what they wore. So I think it's all really important to like not underestimate the power of uh, DNA to like encode our information and to carry it as well and, and to protect it. Um, yeah, but when you mentioned like when you have like a hard drive and you're always scared that, that is going that the files are going to be lost or that there's going to be a way for it to uh, break and then you're never going to uh, get that information back. I feel like if we want to um, like really commercialize this, we're going to have to put an emphasis on um, like protecting and storing this information too, because I don't know if everyone wants to keep their DNA in like a fridge or something at home. So um, there, there will have to be a, a new way to um, orchestrate this. But and all in all, I feel like this is going to be technology that um, enables us to uh, like keep, hold on to our memories a lot longer. Yeah, and I completely agree with that. And like, yeah, we do, we know that we can sequence the DNA from, or the genetic sequence from animals or people, things that lived forever ago. So like, I don't, and I feel like the more we advance that technology, the more it's going to like make sense that we can decode it. And then also finding solutions that can keep our DNA alive. I mean, there's people that, you know, they want in the future the ability to like, re like bring them back to life so they freeze their bodies and i mean it wouldn't be the exact same but it could be similar with storing your data and dna it's just kind of finding to like the right mix of a solution or a storage method and then yeah yeah this is very interesting and i think that maybe i should have started like with the question how is this actually done because uh i think yeah of course it's like an introductory thing to know why we would stir data into a biomolecule but uh what's the process of this how does the magic happen yeah so the process is actually pretty cool so like right now the main process that they use is pcr so you so well first you have to turn your digital data into a dna sequence and to do that so we take our binary code which is like the zeros and ones that make up our digital data and transcribe it into a dna sequence so a g c's and t's by assigning each like very or each numbers sequence of numbers, a uh, letter. And then once we have that sequence, we can encode it in DNA by taking like <laughs> basically a blank DNA strand. Like it's not going to be completely blank because that then it wouldn't exist. And we put a primer on it and then we can, once we have the primer on it, like we take it apart. <laughs> okay, that sounded kind of confusing, but like kind of like CRISPR, we unwind the DNA helix and we take one side of it and then use the other side as our template. So we'll place our primer and then we can place our specific sequence of A, G, C's, and T's. And then, then that's where we can store our sequence and keep it safe. And then to retract it, we also use PCR again and we denature the enzyme and retrieve our sequence. Well, we'd sequence the DNA. We wouldn't have to denature it. Okay, but yeah, we'd receive the um, DNA sequence and then we can turn it back into binary code and turn it back into digital data. And then there's also another method being used that's newer called Doris, which is kind of a funny name. <laughs> but so it's basically a method where we can use it so we don't have to denature it as often so we can store more of our data and keep it safer 
And that way we can still retrieve our data or even reaccess the file. Um, and that process uses an overhang of DNA on it, which is basically like just an extra sequence on it that we add so we can easily find it and then store more data on it, <laughs> if that makes any sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe that was a little bit of a scientific explanation of it uh, with all of the PCR thing, but I don't know, Emil, are there any analogies with which we can explain this? Like, I don't know, in a kind of easier way, what is PCR? What is this all about? The way I really like, like to explain it concisely would be that um, once you have your um, like digital data encoded in a nucleotide sequence, you uh, like ship it off to like a company like Twist Bioscience, which is then able to bio to synthesize this uh, sequence and then uh, provide you with the uh, DNA molecule that essentially uh, encodes your information. Um, as for like analogies, I genuinely can't think of any similar process <laughs> uh, that occurs, but. Um, yeah. Okay, but I, I personally got a little bit lost, and I, and I think it's uh, really important to like explain this PCR uh, factor, but how does PCR play a role into this? Yeah, so PCR, it's basically like, it's pretty much when you look at it, it's just the process we use to actually turn our nucleotide sequence into the physical DNA. It's just that process and then also retrieve it. And it's kind of like, okay, I think this is an analogy. <laughs> so it's kind of like if you were like, had a like foundation for a house, you had that foundation, but you didn't build it yet. And you could choose, you know, you knew what type of house you wanted, but you didn't have it physically built. Then you could choose specific materials to then build up the house in the specific way you wanted and you'd have the physical house. And that's kind of what PCR does. It's like the builder for the house. The blank DNA is like the base, and then the nucleotide sequence is like the blueprint for the house. And then you, the builder turns the blueprint into the actual house. Okay, so we can think of PCR as a builder. Okay, great. Awesome. Uh, and now we have like, uh, now that we have this kind of concept, what do you guys think that is uh, stopping DNA data storage from having like a huge boom? Because like, it sounds amazing to just store a lot, a lot of data into DNA and knowing that it's going to last for many years. But why, why isn't someone like, why, why am I not, you know, actually using this right now? What are some of the challenges that we're facing with this technology? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think the bigger challenge is um, like the high cost that is currently attached to uh, like storing your digital data in DNA. Um, there's a high cost of sequencing and synthesizing like digital information. And I think the technology right now just isn't efficient enough to really make this a, a viable uh, alternative for people looking to store their information. Um, But again, I am optimistic, and there are quite a few uh, alliances. Uh, right recently, there was one between uh, Twist Bioscience, Illumina, Microsoft, and Western Digital, uh, and and they wanted to uh, advance the technology. So um, I, I I really do see this becoming like a commercial or alternative 
in the near future. So uh, if, if we can overcome these uh, couple challenges when it comes to sequencing and synthesizing uh, digital information and um, maybe close the gap between the read and write of uh, like the digital information, I think we can definitely uh, be using this. And talking about like the synthesizing part and the reading part, like the sequencing and synthesizing DNA, I think I have heard a lot about how these technologies are like having this exponential growth in the sense that we are being able to sequence one base pair for a less money each year. So do you guys think that uh, those are like the two main aspects that we can consider to scale this technology? And those are like the challenges we can overcome simply trying to like make these technologies cheaper or is there is there something else we can consider maybe i think yeah the technology like the cost of the technology is a really big barrier but i also think efficiency is kind of another barrier because the right now it's well it's hard to reaccess your file more than once which would be okay for older files, but when you think of other files, that wouldn't be great, right? We reaccess files all the time, and if we lose half the file every time we reaccess it, that gives us like maximum two times. And then another thing with efficiency is like finding it. So we can put all this DNA in this file, but then when we go to find the specific strand of DNA we want, it's not always the most efficient because there can be similar file names. And then when you go to find it, you pick out the wrong one or they get muddled together and you they combine into like one file. But as we can see, like it's already starting to get better. It's already starting to advance. Like going from just using PCR to using Doris, which makes it more efficient and you can reaccess it more than once. And you can actually even edit the file while it's in DNA form to some extent. Uh, I think, I'm definitely optimistic too. I think it's just gonna take some time, but like anything, we're going to get there. And efficiency, it's a problem right now, but I don't see it as a future problem. I think we're gonna get it to a point where it's gonna be fine. The cost is definitely gonna want to be one of the biggest challenges. There you go. If you were curious about knowing what biological computing is about, these are the foundations, these are the basics that you need to know. But remember that this episode isn't over yet. We are going to have a part two in the coming days, and we'll be talking about other topics such as how do you actually translate traditional logic circuits to the context of biology, or what does biological engineering actually mean, and other mind-blowing applications, as well as the comparison of quantum computing with biological computing. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned to our social media at 2045 Podcast, and I'll see you later. Bye.